Welcome. I'm your hostess, Tanai Milgram, a former commitment phobe turned intimacy expert. My search for answers to figure out why it was so hard for me to be in a relationship took me on a path to understanding how to create intimacy in not just romantic, but all relationships. In each episode, I'm going to be sharing what I've learned and experienced alongside with incredible guests about how to create that vulnerability, connection, and authenticity that it takes to have the intimacy that you deeply crave in your relationships. This is Commitment Phobe. Hello, everybody. Today, I'm joined by Yosef Sagi, who's going to be talking to us today about conscious kink, something that that I have not tapped into on this podcast, so really exciting. And I, I think it's so just perfect the way that we met. I was in my um, coach training program and this coach comes on and literally blows my mind because he does this session with someone and he was teaching about spirituality and coaching. And he does this session live with this man and asks him the same question while taking him up through the chakras of his body and noticing how his answer would change as he like focused on responding from different parts of his body. And I'm like, what is happening? It was incredible. And I had to connect with him. Um, I followed him on Instagram. And then we we did an Instagram live. And we've never met in person. But but yeah, we, we've had several <laughs> virtual interactions. Um, and it's been super cool to watch him and his journey as he's exp- like, yeah, just become this prominent person in the um, conscious sexuality space. So super cool to have you joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here. It, it, when you said we've never met in person, I had to do a double take. I was like, we haven't? It feels <laughs> like we have, but no, we haven't. Isn't that yeah. wild? Yeah, I feel that way about a lot of people that I met in you know, the COVID times. Yeah, um, There's been so much intimacy virtually, but never in person. And I don't know if you know this, but... Um, my best friend's wedding was a couple weeks ago and I met one of your best friends, Talia. Oh, no way. Yeah. That's so crazy. Who, yeah. who well, we'll have to figure out all that, freaking world. That connection, I know. how that worked out. But yeah. yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. All right. So how would you introduce yourself? Like who, who are you and what do you do in the world? You will meet me at the intersection of sexuality and spirituality. Those are two things that are very near and dear to my heart. You know, spirituality is personal development and sexuality is personal development. I think that those are like two really big fields. So everything that meets at that intersection, which to me is sacred sexuality, it's the conscious kink, it's my big offering that I do here, a huge event that I do called Mystery Temple, which is which I like to describe as a personal development workshop disguised as a play party. So all the things that I do are at that intersection. Mm. And that's uh, big events, workshops, speaking engagements, one-on-one couples. I do it all. Yeah. Oh, amazing. How did you get into this work? So... I mean, you knew me, you knew me in the coaching program, right? So personal development was something that was something I was immersed in from when I was a young child. Like my mom was obsessed with uh, all kinds of personal development practices. And so that was something that was always true for me. And spirituality was always true for me. 
Um, and sexuality is something that, you know, comes up as you start to like discover yourself as a tween and a teen and it's like these feelings and things, but I didn't really have a vehicle for that exploration. And actually, you know, through family, society, and environment, uh, was quite repressed around the exploration of sexuality. And so it became inevitable that as a person who cares a lot about personal development, that that's a part of myself that I wanted to explore. Like I craved it, I hungered, I felt like I couldn't go on without it. And a series of explorations, uh, Tantra and BDSM and uh, play parties and um, all kinds of workshops and courses around these things really opened that up for me but I was keeping those two worlds separately like the coaching and the personal development and the sexuality until inevitably they wanted to meet each other and it's what everybody wanted for me as well mm -hmm. that combination of holding that space because I don't think there's a lot of people who um, use it the way I do I think a lot of people want to learn about themselves maybe so that they can improve their sex life there's that kind of thing there's people who enroll in that kind of thing but what i'm the work that i do is like how can you through the exploration of your sexuality actually learn about yourself in every facet of your life mm -hmm. yeah which is not something people would ever yeah like in for a regular human that wouldn't compute for them that yeah. that could be a like um a pathway to personal development. What was the impact for you when you were at that point that you were you know very into personal development and spirituality? What was the impact for you for not being connected that powerfully to your sexuality? Well, I I, I don't know if it's true that I wasn't connected to it. Yeah, how would you work? Because that? it was always like like a very strong force inside of me, but there was a lot of guilt and shame around it. So it was like a part of me that really wanted to be alive, but I was always pushing back down on. Um, and when I was expressing it with my partners, um, it there was a, like a lot of energy around it for sure, but I still felt shame to talk about it outside a relationship um talk about it with other people uh there's a lot of guilt after uh, being intimate so all of these things existed so it's not that i didn't have a, f a, a full expression i, I mm -hmm. for sure didn't have as full expression as i could have but um i wasn't expressed around it like i wasn't able to talk about being the world around it. it was like always had to be in the shadows something that was secret something that was hidden something that was separate from my spirituality like those two worlds weren't allowed together right yeah so how did did you notice any ways where you were showing up differently in the world as a product of that like did it impact work did it impact how you felt about yourself how you felt in relationships yeah that's an excellent question because I definitely feel like there were two different me's um because I felt very expressed in the bedroom and I was always uh, now in retrospect I could say I was kinky and I was exploratory and I was um tantric I guess for lack of a better word like I cared like the energy thing like I felt all of those things but that wasn't welcome into the rest of my life so 
um, you know, when I was like out in the world and I was like teaching and leading and stuff like that, I, I didn't really give a space for that part of me to be alive. I feel like I was even, even felt shameful to talk about sexuality. So I wasn't really coming with a full me. And as you know, you and I both know that our sexual energies, our creative energy, they're one and the same. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like living like, uh, like a ghost or like a, just like a lesser aspect of yourself. There is like, you know, I'm still there, but the, the there's an energy missing that, that creative spark that didn't, wasn't given permission. And I think that affected my ability to be creative and expressive uh, as myself in general in the world. Mm, yeah. That makes, that's interesting. It, it's cool to hear like, yeah, because like it can be such a, like, heady concept of, you know, sexual energy is creative energy, but it's cool when someone can say, like, no, actually, the more that I um, had permission around that, the more that you tapped into that creative energy. For me, it felt like it's, like, the – because also growing up in a, you know, Jewish household and community, sexuality is seen as something wrong or secretive. It felt like it impacted how I showed up in the world – as a good girl, like the the more that I allowed myself to be a sexual being or identify with that or talk about that, the less of a good girl I was trying to be in general. Yeah. And, and that had a huge impact on my life because then I didn't feel like this little girl pretending to be a woman, but actually felt like a woman in a woman's body. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it but I, I sometimes do find it hard to, when, when people come up to me and say, what is the point of doing this work to actually explain the impact of that, right? Yeah, I, and I, I, it makes sense that you're going, when you start having that exploration that you have, that it happens in like little bits, like people say you fake it till you make it. So you're like, you're trying to guess what this archetype of you and your sexual expression might look like mm -hmm. and you play this role, right? Because it's so distant and unfamiliar. And so, oh, if I was being good now, I got to be bad. Or if like, but eventually yeah. what happens <laughs> is that the natural, your natural expression, because there's no charge around it, there's no shame around it, it just naturally expresses, and it doesn't have to have this identity of good or bad or anything else. It's just a part of you mm -hmm. when you don't, uh, and, and the pendulum does sometimes have to swing the other way before you find your center with it. Um, right. But before it becomes something like spontaneous rather than I'm intentionally trying to be this. I'm a rebel and I'm yeah. and like, yeah, and I'm like breaking all the rules. And yeah, we go through that phase. Um, but even that is charged, right? Because you have this identity of mm -hmm. it being wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right. Whereas yeah. it's just natural. Mm, yeah, that's I love that distinction. So, OK, so getting more specific about conscious kink yeah um not something most people have heard you know two words those two words together so how would you define conscious kink yeah i'll i i'll relate to the fact that a lot of people don't see those words together because usually when you think about kink you're thinking about that uh leather and vinyl and people tied up and uh, really intense uh, impact scenes and it can seem a lot very scary to a lot of people from the outside and honestly there is a lot of kink in the world that isn't so conscious and is exactly what you're looking at 
Uh, when I think about conscious kink, for me personally, I've yet to find a better container for all the different types of work that I do in terms of personal development than kink. Because you have something like Tantra, which is this like thousands and thousands year old practice. And some of the languaging around it is, I think, outdated and gendered and feels exclusive to some people. And then also it doesn't have a, a, like it has some practices, but the practices aren't necessarily grounded in modern understandings of somatics and the body and how it works. Whereas kink is something that's relatively new and people have studied it also from the perspective of psychology and what happens to you in that in that place. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about conscious kink, it's a great container to bring in the sacred sexuality and these like polarity dynamics that you learn in Tantra. Tantra will call it masculine and feminine, but we can just talk about it as dom and sub without mm -hmm. having to gender it or make it exclusive to someone. Uh, and then you can bring in coaching because there's a lot of like uh, psychological play that happens in kink as well. So you can bring in uh, different types of coaching modalities. And there's the somatic experience itself of what sensation play and impact play uh, do to your body and the states that they create inside of you. And this idea that the sub goes into a subspace, which is basically a sort of semi-meditative hypnotic place where they can um, explore and learn a lot about themselves. So there's just, it's just a wonderful container for a lot of different modalities. And that's why I'm obsessed with it right now. And you mentioned, I, I read on your Instagram that you mentioned that, that you weren't like that, that like, it's not something that you were immediately drawn to for that reason that you associated it with all these negative, harmful things. Well, I just didn't, I didn't realize what it was. And I guess like, I didn't think that that was my main thing. There were aspects of kink that were always somewhat fascinating to me, but a lot of the stuff I thought, oh, that's too intense. Like I would never want to hit someone really hard or be hit until I was in an experience where I was like, let me give this a try. And being actually on the receiving end as the sub and the deep space that both rope bondage and impact play brought me into, uh, like a total states of surrender that I couldn't even imagine reaching uh, in other ways without maybe deep, deep meditation for days or plant medicine or something like that. And I reached mm. these states like super quickly, super dropped in in the right container with the right person in the right way. And that gave me this like imprint of like, this is powerful. And I started getting more curious about it. Mm, yeah. The, that, that like state of surrender mm. that you mentioned. Yeah. It's like incredible how it can be entered by so many um, avenues and as, as someone that, yeah, like I, I've gone into that state too as a sub. And um, and it's interesting to just to feel like there's nothing that I that I need to do in that moment. It's like this surrendering of I'm just receiving, I'm just receiving, and I'm just being told what to do, and I don't have to control anything right now. I don't have to make one more decision today. I don't have to. 
I can't control, right? It's out of my control. So yeah. it's like, okay. And the universe does that to us sometimes, right? When we think we're trying to control everything and eventually you get injured, you get sick, or you get put in a situation, God forbid, that like you have no control and then you realize it. And then you're like, ah, okay, I guess I got to choose surrender and acceptance because that's all I have. Um, and that's that's the gift of being in the sub role. Uh, the Dom role has its own beautiful gifts to it. You are the creator. You're um, in the flow state. It's like beautiful to see um, the reaction that you can get from somebody else when you really create a beautiful safe container for them. So there are these two opposite sides of this spectrum of the power dynamic, like the most powerful and then the least powerful, but there's beauty in both of them. Mm -hmm. that 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 i'd love for you to talk to i'd love for you to talk more about because doming is something that for me is uncomfortable mm -hmm. um there's like this yeah there's there's discomfort with being bossy and maybe it comes from the fact that i was super bossy as a little girl and it was very judged <laughs> and i see you nodding you're like yep <laughs> yeah. so can you talk a little bit about how those different roles can be very healing for different traumas or, or situations that we have in our lives. Yeah, for sure. And I can relate to that a little bit. Don't go with me was less bossy and maybe I was more mean as mm. a kid and <laughs> doms can come off that way as well. Um, and so you were a bossy kid and then you kept being told, well, you acted a certain way. You were told that you were bossy. Right. That's the message you got. Right. Exactly. It's and a label not, on it's, my behavior. It's a yes. label on your behavior. And uh -huh. then over and over and over again. And people told you to keep behaving this way. You're not going to have friends. You're not going to get along with others. It's going to keep you back. And you start now adjusting your behavior and repressing this facet of yourself so you can fit into a world and be accepted in it by changing yourself or by repressing a part of yourself. Right. Yeah. Now, this part of yourself, without giving it this label as bossy or mean or violent or, well, all these other things that the people say, they're, they're, it's just a behavior. Um, it wants expression. The problem is when our expression violates somebody else's boundaries and consent. That's the problem. The problem isn't the, that facet of yourself. It's on mm -hmm. its own. So the dom and the sub are in relationship to each other. The sub craves, the true sub craves to be told what to do. So if you don't bring your bossy self, they don't get to have their experience. It's a gift that mm -hmm. you give them. But the difference is now that's consensual and it's wanted from them and it's negotiated with them. So now there's this part of you that's always wanted to be alive and you've repressed and it gets to have its own expression in a healthy way. Yeah, and in a way that brings both parties pleasure. Exactly. And yeah, freedom, aliveness. Yeah, yeah. when you said, you know, the, the sub craves that, it makes me think of times when I get triggered by people who aren't like owning or I'm, I'm telling myself they're not owning their, you know, like when they make a request of me and when they tell me what they want and I can sense like a lack of, directness or assertiveness and it, it's it's annoying it's like triggering yeah. i just want their fullness their right their their sureness so so that that's beautifully said of that you know the 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 
um, the sub does crave that. And both parties need to be in integrity. You know, a lot of people want to explore BDSM and they want to, that submissive experience. You know, it's, it's a really popular now. People won't crave it. And then they're going to come into a session and the dom will ask them if they're a good dom will ask them, what do they want to experience? And the sub says, I don't know. Mm. And you never want to do a scene with someone who doesn't know. You would coach them in, around it and ask them, what is it that you most want to experience? How do you want to feel? What are the things, what are some desires you have? What are boundaries? Because the I don't know space is very dangerous because like you said, it's out of integrity. It's the person not like directly asking for what they want. And it goes in both directions, really, mm -hmm. from the dominant sub. Like you have to, uh, you have to be active both in your own dominance, which is obvious, but also active in your own submission. You have to be an active participant in that. Yes, the scene will be created for you by the dom, but it doesn't absolve you of your responsibility to be an active participant in that relationship. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's that's so powerful. I I was in an experience where, yeah, I, I guess I, I didn't know. And then what happened is that during the experience, I'm like, I, I guess this is okay. I'm not sure, but it doesn't feel right. And so what you're saying is so important because then it's like I was basically having a trauma response to everything that was happening and and not speaking up for myself out of fear. So damn, that's that's awesome to to offer that. that yeah, that people should know what they want and and be coached and, um, or they're not ready. Yeah, or yeah, of course. Yeah, but I think sometimes it's hard to, it's hard to know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. It's like sometimes it's helpful when someone will ask a question and and that will right help the answer arise. What are some other ways in general to, to create that safe space and to create a space of um oh yeah consent and communication and commitment to safety a lot of you know i i talk about this a lot in the consent work that i do in order to have full expression you need to have a lot of safety you can't feel expressed if you don't know where the boundaries are and where the edges are because then you get into that testing category probably the dom that was working with you was like oh let me see if she likes this thing and you have a hesitation and they hesitate but if you're not communicating about it then everyone just sort of walks away feeling like eh at best it can be a lot worse than that um so you so what creates safety in the container is communication ahead of time during and after uh, a head is is really important. Like there's a whole like any good scene is preceded by uh, a very thorough negotiation, and it and then is followed by uh, aftercare. And aftercare is sometimes just some nervous system regulation. It could look like cuddling, but it could also include um, a debrief, whether immediately after or a day after or something like that, and an adjustment. Okay, what do we want in the next scene? What don't we want? But it's really that negotiation ahead of time that's so important. And I actually have an eight-page negotiation document that I will share with a sub before going to scene with them. They have to fill out eight pages. It's homework. There's work to do. I want to know what you want to experience. I want to know how you want to feel. I want to know um, what specific tools and implements uh, you are comfortable with and which ones you're not. Uh, I want to know what type of psychological play is something that you're looking to explore and which ones you aren't. And there's so many different facets of what can create a scene. So the more you can be on the same page ahead of time, I feel 
safer as the DOM, who holds who's a DOM is a space holder, uh, I feel safer to go into it myself. I don't feel safe when the other person isn't clear about what they want. So I'm yeah. finding like I want to have more and more conversation ahead of time. Mm. And that's true in a scene, but you know, then extrapolate to the rest of your life. It's the same thing. You know, if you have a difficult conversation with a friend, a family member, and you need to have a clearing before get, getting to the conversation, talk about what you're going to do. What, like, you know, what is available in that conversation? What do I want to achieve through this conversation? What are some boundaries around this? Like, I don't want us to raise our voices or I don't want, like, you know, like, what is the time frame and the limit for this conversation? Like, you want to be clear about all those things. So that's why I feel it's super translatable into other aspects of your life. If we can be uh, very clear about the negotiation of all of our interactions with other people, the interaction itself becomes more valuable. You know, I'm just thinking about an older version of me and a lot of people listening and wondering, are people used to hearing safety as something that's going to create a more connected and and turned on space, right? Like, it's like, I don't know, growing up, all I heard was, yeah, you don't want it to get safe. You don't want to be in a safe relationship. You don't want, right? And safety has this connotation to it. How is safety actually a pathway to what you're talking about? You spent a little bit of time in Costa Rica? Have I? Yeah. Oh, yeah, tons. Have you, have you done the zip lining? Yes, many times. It's scary, right? Yeah. But are you safe? Very. Yeah, right. harness and everything. The harness is holding you 100%, but there's a thrill, and it's scary, and it gets your adrenaline going, and it gets your body turned on in one way, right? In a certain mm -hmm. way. Whereas yeah. if you didn't have the harness, would you even, and you, did, <laughs> and you were just like holding on with your just your hands to a rope, would you swing across that entire canopy? Would you right. dare even do it? Right. Right. So uh, there's the combination of the safety that actually can increase the thrill and the enjoyment of it because you know that you're safe. Now, if you do, I th um, my part of my theory on domination is that what the dom provides for the sub is two things. One one aspect is called containment, another is penetration. The containment is what makes you feel safe and held and regulates your nervous system, and penetration are the things that activate you, that maybe scare you a little bit or turn you on a little bit, and they um, they actually activate the sympathetic nervous system. So. Now you're on a roller coaster of this experience inside of your body that goes between the parasympathetic and the sympathetic, between turn on and safety. And that combination and that contrast is what creates the thrill. If you have all containment, all safety, that's really nice if you want to be put to sleep and have a nice rest <laughs> yeah. that, you know, then there's a time and a place for that. If you have all penetration, all thrill, that's basically torture, right? When you have like just constant stimulation without respite from it, that's torture. But if you bring those two together, then you find this really juicy way to play with them both in the middle. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, beautiful. It totally makes sense. I, I, I was thinking too about just what happens in my body when I feel safe. It's like more open and relaxed. So so of course I feel more sensation and I'm more receptive to the experience. 
That's right. Because actually both of those parts, both the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system together are responsible for pleasurable sex because the parasympathetic leads to us to arousal while the sympathetic leads to um, the actual orgasm. So you need to have the combination, right? If someone just rushes in and just like activates, you're not open yet to be aroused. So you're not going to get off. But if you just do just the parasympathetic with a slow breathing, you can really like extend the pleasure of an experience, but you're not going to get over the edge to the orgasm, mm. which is like edging and a lot of yeah, yeah. practices are like that. But if you play with them both together, then you can really have that whole ride. Mm. Yeah, so cool. It's true. It's it's like if you think about it as a roller coaster, there are moments where you're kind of just like, okay, riding along and then boom, something comes and that makes it a more pleasurable experience too. You wouldn't like it, it, it you'd kind of numb out if it was all just spins and ups and downs. Yeah, that's right. You got to have it all. Yeah. So with Dom and Sub, you know, we talked about the power dynamics, right? And how each one can kind of get us into a specific space, maybe one we're not comfortable with. Um, one that I would love for you to talk about is objectification. Mm -hmm. I yeah, you know, I I'd love to hear you talk about it in a way that would make people be open to it and understand it, right? Like what what why why did that one come up for you? Tell me more about that. Good question. I guess because because I'm super comfortable with the pyrodynamic dynamics. Um, mm. Objectification is something I guess I haven't fully, yeah, like fully, I don't know, experienced. What does it mean and, to you? Well, objectification kind of mean like to me, it means like, in a way, the same experience of like, I'm powerless. I'm, I don't have any control here. I'm being, it's like an ego death in a way. Cause it's like, someone's degrading me. Mm -hmm. Um, so objectification can or cannot go hand in hand with degradation. It doesn't necessarily. Okay. Yeah. That's why may, I'd love to, but it, to talk but it about may. it. <laughs> but objectification, if you think about it, there's a lot of different ways to objectify someone, but, uh, but at the root of it, it comes down to the word. You're turning the person into an object. Mm -hmm. And sometimes objectification means that you have the person wrapped up in a bow and you parade them around the room and they're like your arm candy in a way. That's like one type of objectification. Mm. But there's a, a, but that it can go as, uh, as um, explicit as literally like now you're going to be my ottoman and I'm going to lay my feet on you. You're a piece <laughs> of furniture and nothing else. Like that's a level of objectification, right? Uh, Literally an object for my use. Yeah. And that's what it's about. When you are being objectified, you feel very useful to your dominant. Mm. And that's the gift that comes with it. Wow, I'm useful. And a lot of people don't understand that they have this like inherent value in them. They have to do something to be valuable. And here they're saying you as an object, just as you are, are useful. Damn. You're valuable. Yeah. You see the healing facets of something that can look like something. Now, objectification done non-consensually mm -hmm. reduces person to being only an object. 
The beauty of doing a scene is that you're bringing out one archetype to be explored at a time. So I am also useful just as I am, but I have all these other facets and there's the things that I do and all these other things, right? So you can heal that one part through this consensual objectification as opposed to someone being in a relationship where they're constantly objectified and that's all they are. We're just exploring that one facet. Yeah. That makes sense? Yeah. Is uh, It makes me curious. When, when you have people come and work with you, do you create a scene out of something that they want to work on in themselves sometimes? Yeah. If they don't know what scene they, they'd want to play. It's like other types of parts work or like, you know, you, you know, you do parts work internally, family systems, all these other things. Yeah. What facet, what archetype, what part of you wants to be explored? And then we're going to find a scene to help explore that thoroughly all the way through. So that one part can have full expression. Mm-hmm. And we'll find the appropriate um, techniques and tools and create the scene that will help you to be fully explore that. Yeah. How does, um how would pain play into a scene coming at it that way? Yeah. And do you have any pain in your life? Yes. Emotional, mental, physical pain just regularly in your life? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I've talked about it on my podcast, but like I shared with you, I have, I've been healing from chronic UTIs and vaginal infection. So, you know, sometimes it actually gets physically painful on my pelvic floor. What's the difference between pain and suffering? Oh man, I'm like in student mode right now. What's the answer? (laughs) (laughs) It's just your relationship. Yeah. Well, I think like, yeah, I would say like pain is when you're feeling it as a sensation and then suffering is when it becomes the experience and you're doomed and attached to it and that your identity becomes that thing. Right. So what if in a scene you could explore pain and discover that, oh, wow, I can endure this. Oh, wow, I can transmute this into pleasure. Mm. Right? Yeah. So that can be really powerful, exploring pain, recognizing pain and pleasure are just sensations along the same spectrum. And what we start learning with sort of like two points of contact contact when we're uh, in a scene is that pain on its own often just feels like pain. But pain coupled with pleasure becomes even more pleasure than pleasure alone. And sometimes pain with a different type of pain turn into pleasure. Pain with a different type of pain turn turn into pleasure. Can I have an example? Sure. So the classic example that I give, have you ever had like a strong massage in your jaw? It's really painful. Yes. Right? And on its own, it just feels really painful. But what the body starts doing is when you have pain, it starts releasing endorphins that turn into dopamine and they create this um, soothing sensation in your body, Uh right? So pain becomes actually becomes pleasure. So when you create pain in a a way that doesn't create damage, but just elicits pain, like, like a pressure point, you know, at the beginning it becomes pain, but then suddenly you add another sensation to the body, like a pinch on the nipple. A pinch on the nipple out of nowhere is not fun. Nobody likes it. Mm-hmm. Right, but if you already have that one pain, and then se- suddenly you add a nipple pinch into it, you'd be surprised about how suddenly that becomes so pleasurable. Wow! A combination of those two types of pain. Fascinating. I'd never heard of that before. Yeah, because it starts confusing the 
nervous system and, and, uh, and as well, because your body's already started releasing these endorphins. Now this new experience that you bring in secondary to that first pain is felt differently than originally did. So you're teaching your body that pain can be transmuted to pleasure, that you're able to sit with pain and, and not just tolerate it, but like handle it, like that you're strong enough to endure it, you know, and all these lessons then get transmitted into your life. So when you have an actual physical, emotional, mental pain in your life, you breathe through it. You remember how strong you are. You know how to transmit that into pleasure in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it sounds like also like an association that's different than what you've had yeah. in the past. Yeah. You changed that exactly that neural pathway, that association. To right. Me. Oh, so cool. And okay. I'm just loving you telling these examples. So what about one with a taboo? Mm. I mean, all kink is, all that kink is, is taboo. Basically something is kinky to you personally, because you have some type of taboo, which is some shame around it. Okay. So that's why kink is highly personal. For some people, uh, being an exhibitionist is kinky. And for mm -hmm. some people, it's normal. It's not, you know, and for some people, maybe there's like a, a certain, like a doggy style position. Oh, that's super kinky. And for some people, it doesn't mean anything, right? So it's your relationship to something which makes it taboo. And so what kink does, I think the blessed, the blessing in kink and one of the gifts in kink is that you just step into your taboos, which means you start eliminating the shame around how you express yourself. And that's super healing because shame says there's something wrong with me. Yeah. And when you allow yourself to step into it and to face it, you recognize, oh no, there's a lot of pleasure in this. This is a mutual excitement for both of us. Mm. This is a really beautiful experience. So you're healing shame directly. Love that. I'm already, yeah, I'm I'm already thinking of like situations for myself and I'm wondering, does this mean that as humans, we're all innately kinky? I think we're kinky if we're willing, if we get turned on by facing our taboos and facing our Got shame it. and working through it. Otherwise okay. we're repressed. Yeah. When you're willing to face your shame and walk through it, that's kinky. Uh, right. Okay. So I guess like, we all have these things, but whether we're we're going to get turned on by healing them this way or enacting them or doing all of that, then then we're being yeah we're, we're more kinky than than other people. And some people are that's why I think you're either a kinkster or you're a closet kinkster. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> would you um Would you recommend that people hire professional doms before yeah. they get into this kind of work? Yeah. So in order to play in this space, there's uh, a couple of different ways you can do it. You can either find a partner and do it with a partner, or you can hire a professional. Those experiences are going to be very different from each other. And regardless of whether you're, whether you're finding a play partner or hiring a professional, you want to vet that person. You want to vet them in general, like is this a person who has integrity and creates a safe space. But uh, you also want to vet if it's a good match for you personally. The difference between working with a partner and working with a dumb, if if they're doing it right, is hiring a professional, a professional dumb or a professional sub. Um, the exchange is the fact you pay them 
to create an experience for you. So that's the energy exchange there. So a, a good dom or sub won't bring their own preferences, a professional dom or sub who's good, won't bring their own preferences and desires into that container. It's not about them. They're creating an experience just for you. Whereas if you're doing it in relationship, there should be still an energy exchange. And since it's not done with money for a service, then it should be done with a negotiation that includes, these are my desires and boundaries, these are my desires and boundaries, where's the Venn diagram of where these overlap and will we play well together and create something juicy together in that space? So that's the difference. Mm. Whereas the professional dom or sub will take into account what their potential client wants, they can still check in with their own boundaries and do, you know, but they won't bring their own desire into it. Right. Yeah. I can right. feel the difference in energy in that because like, at least for me, I I tend to overthink about what does the other person need? What's the other person experiencing? And if I were to hire someone, then that would help me even more surrender yeah, no. to just fully receive. And yeah, all about me. I don't have to worry at all about what this other person is experiencing. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And, and what about in the spaces that you're creating? I'd love to hear more about yeah, how, what does that look like and how is it different? Yeah, so uh, speci specifically around Conscious Kink, the main spaces that I create are either workshops or smaller events or more intimate containers one-on-one -on -one or with couples. And uh, one of the things that I really love doing is helping to create that polarity and connection for couples by introducing them to BDSM principles and using them as a container. Like there's a lot of people that come to, they don't even realize they're kinksters or think that they are, right? but they just want to connect with each other. But by bringing in these principles, because of the high level of communication and the safety, it just creates a great container for a couple to build their intimacy, whether there has been like a violation of trust or whether um, there's just a lack of chemistry it can really build those things up. So that's powerful. Mm. Uh, working with people one-on-one -on -one is more like these examples that you brought. Like there can be a scene to work on these different facets, whether it's the objectification or it's the pain play or any of the other things. How I tend to work it is I do a combination of coaching sessions and scenes and go back and forth. So there's time to integrate and apply into mm. your life. So I do that combination of uh, bringing together both of those modalities when I do one-on-one. -on -one. And when I do groups, uh, it's typically, I have um, an event that I call Kinky Classroom where we're all coming back to school and you're all my students and I'm teaching some kink basics and we get to experiment them in a group setting in a lab and play with things and learn about each other in that setting. Yeah. So those are some of the ways that I integrate conscious kink. And then I have this one, a uh, bigger event that I do, which is Mystery Temple, which isn't kink specific, but it is about exploring yourself through the lens of your sexuality in a bigger container. Those are typically the ones I do in LA are about a hundred people. Oh, yeah. So cool. What do you love the most about who you are when you're holding these spaces for people? That's an excellent question. Um, what I love is this whole path for me, and you know, you could say that I'm providing a service for others, but it's really just the path of healing for myself. 
there has always been this avatar inside of me, this facet of myself that's wanted to come through and step more powerfully into who I am. And this is in such alignment to what I love to do, to what's meaningful for me purpose, uh, personally, what feels purposeful to me. Uh, it's a gift that I think is valuable to others that I just get to be more wholly myself, more fully myself, more wholly myself than um, I've been in any other way before. I get to bring all of me. Mm. And I think that that's one of the deepest cravings that all of us have is to be fully expressed in our whole self, to be seen and accepted in that full self by ourselves first, but yeah. it's nice from others too. Yeah. And what I'm hearing just in our whole conversation is um, is how this brings a lot of creativity like f to sex in particular um, and play. Yeah. I, um, a question that I was hoping. What? It's always something new. Yeah. And a, a question that I was hoping we would answer through this podcast is the connection between conscious kink and, and love. Yeah. And I'd love for you to share, you know, what comes up for you. But what I'm hearing is conscious kink allows you to, like you said, become fully yourself and integrate parts of yourself, love part, parts of yourself, learn about parts of yourself and connect with someone else um, in that, which creates more love for, for yourself and, and, and others. That's right. Because maybe you're doing a scene where the sub is expressing their full pathetic neediness or you're doing a scene <laughs> where the dom is expressing their full mean girl bulliness and they are fully loved and accepted and celebrated in those forms yeah right it creates deeper intimacy you get to bring all of yourself and be loved and appreciated and create pleasure around those things so what's more loving than that yeah oh so good it's like shadow work and, and sexuality yeah well it's what it, our sexuality is what we keep most in the shadows right and that's why it's such a great uh vehicle for exploring our shadows mm -hmm. yeah i um something that i that i hear a lot is people talk about how how we can't just be light and and love and and like butterflies and sunshine because there's all, all, yeah just this whole darker side of ourselves that then we don't get to claim and own and that disconnects us from our power that was actually the theme of my not the last mystery temple but the one before that was called the night of light and shadow and what we were playing with in that space is integrating both the light work and the shadow work because when you do only the light work, like you said, that, that just leads to spiritual bypassing, right? You think like everything is love and light and great and wonderful, but uh, nothing's really changing. Whereas if you do only shadow work, um, it, it also creates a blockage to change because you are so hard on yourself and it becomes so heavy that it becomes hard to change. But if you bring the light and the shadow together, the optimism and uh, seeing the big picture and knowing it all turns out with the best with, okay, let me take a look at some things that I want to change. And you do that together. That's actually what creates the most rapid growth and transformation. So it's important to do all of that together. And that's why even if the scene 
sort of plunges to the depth of your shadows, you have the aftercare after, right? To take care of you and let's get you some water and let's cuddle you and let's hold you and let's pet each other. And yes, you're not really just a mean girl bully and you're not really just a <laughs> pathetic slave, you know? Yeah. It's just a part of you, right? And and to remind ourselves um, and each other of that, both the dumb and the sub need the aftercare to be reminded that that was just one part of you and it's not all that you are. That wow, I love that. I've I, I haven't heard anyone say about doms needing aftercare. So, mm -hmm. so that yeah, yeah, that's I, I love that because you know what? I was actually gonna leave this just sharing that I that I want to explore my dom more. Yeah, that I definitely nice. want to. Yeah, I want to integrate that mean girl inside of me or what I what I called mean. Um, because I I also see in my life where where I I doubt my my decision-making sometimes or, um, or feel some guilt after I say something, you know, with directness. And I feel like it'd be really fun to, to let, let her out, let, That's let her be free for you. Yeah. Let her be loved. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Um, any, any last words that you want to share? Well, gratitude to you for opening up the space second time, know having conversation with you here virtually and um really proud of you and your own personal journey of constantly looking for how you can be more and more expressed i think that you've been courageous and seeing what's scary for you and walking through it and even having this conversation inviting me to have this and putting it out there is important in healing for the world so i want to end on that appreciation for you Thank you. How can people connect with you if they're interested in, in working together? Uh, the best way is on Instagram. So Yosef Sagi, if you spell my name right, Y-O-S-E-F-S-A-G-I uh, on Instagram. And you can join my mailing list for Mystery Temple and you can slide into my DMs around my work. Um, that's really the best place to find me. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Thank you for joining us today on Commitment Phobe. I hope that our conversation has inspired you to have a little more courage to let go of those fears and do something different than you have in your relationships so that you open your heart to create more intimacy in your life. If you found value, please, please, please subscribe, rate, leave a review, share with your friends, share on your social media. Your feedback means the world to me and helps me spread this message around the world. And remember your journey towards deep, meaningful connection starts with the courage to be authentically you. Till next time.